Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,271 of The Bugle, officially one of the universe's top billion topical comedico-satiristic audio newspapers for one of its billion most visual worlds. I am Andy Zaltzman, the gatekeeper of all truth. Uh, Just stepping in as a temporary locum for the next two seconds. (laughs) Oh, I did not enjoy that level of responsibility. That is, that is not my thing. I'm coming to you, not live, and in the zeroth dimension, from the shed, wherein lies the true secret to life. Sorry, wherein lies a lot of old books about cricket, potato, potato. And joining me today for this last full bugle before our summer hiatus, we have two of the leading eight billion swimwear models on the planet today. Chris Addison and Nish Kumar are both looking, I must say, resplendent. Um... <laughs> Uh, Andy, I've oiled myself up for every single bugle, and this is the first time it's come in use. <laughs> Andy, yeah, um, sorry I was a bit late to the Zoom call. I've just been bidding for the Commonwealth Games. Oh, right, uh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're pretty well set up here. We've got a pond for the swimming events, so so long as the Games rules allow athletes to compete alongside goldfish and carp, we're, we're set. We've got a, an athlete's village, by which I mean a fold-out sofa, but so long as there aren't more than two athletes who need to sleep at any one time, should be fine. And we're very happy to not mention the empire too much. So worth a punt. <laughs> well, that is key because I mean this is I mean this is a, a, a fresh breaking story today. The Australian Strait of Victoria pulled out of hosting the 2026. Yeah, Commonwealth I mean, Games. And, and quite absolutely and without any apologies, the uh, the press release was headed that mate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean the the reason officially given was that they realised the whole event is a bit f-ing weird when you think about it. Frankly. <laughs> Just a load of mostly former British imperial colonies being thrashed at sport by the UK and Australia uh, due to their <laughs> vastly superior funding and resources, whilst everyone tries not to think about what it truly signifies. Um, they made some guff, about, guff up about it being too expensive. But we all know, we all know Victoria. Um, oh, sorry, guys. I'm just getting news that Saudi Arabia's actually got the Commonwealth game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the Commonwealth. Saudi right. Arabia has bought the Commonwealth Games and the entire Commonwealth. Man, that's a real turn up for the books. Well, <laughs> it's uh, the way of all flesh. And by flesh, I mean sport. Um, <laughs> sport is flesh, Andrew. Um, uh, how, how are your summers going? Out of ten, how would, you, how would you rate this summer so far on a personal or global level? I think on a global level, it's going quite badly, isn't it? Right. I mean, it's it a bit too summery, if anything. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll touch <laughs> They've obviously. really turned the dials up on the whole summer aspect of summer, <laughs> and it's not gone that well. <laughs> Call someone's dad. The globe's thermostat is broke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we will touch on that uh, later in the show. We are recording on the 18th of July, 2023. On this day... In the year 1290, King Edward I of England issued the Edict of Expulsion, banishing all Jews from England. The six-foot-two-inch monarch uh, needed to fob <laughs> off his barons after whacking up their taxes. And what more sugary deal-sweetener could there have been for a bunch of 13th-century anti-Semites than chucking all the not-that-many-Jews out of the country? Well, that went well, didn't it, Teddy Longlegs? I'm right here! I'm right in your f***ing house! Sorry, I'm in my shed, which is on what used to be your land. Shalom, you tall, dead, law-reforming, Scotland-invading, admin-obsessed, warmongering wiener. And the fact that I am here, despite King Edward I's efforts uh, on this day in 1290, shows what a great nation this is. Because whatever mistakes we may make in this country, we're never too proud to front up 
admit we've done something wrong <laughs> and put it right just a few hundred years later because that edict was overturned in what seemed like a blink of an eye but was in fact uh, 367 years in uh, 1657 by Oliver Cromwell aka on social media at the time at not your king Ollie Crom and also we're never in this country we're never too stubborn to apologize for for mistakes we've made and in this case the apology came just 732 years later as the Archbishop of Canterbury last year uh, issued an apology for the laws passed at the 1222 Synod of Oxford that restricted the rights of Jews in England and paved the way for the 1290 expulsion. So that, I think it just shows this country in a great light how we've moved on from that. It does just remind you that uh, blaming a minority for a country's financial woes is as English as crumpets and large-scale sexual <laughs> repression. Uh, yes, and in fact, um, I think Edward uh, I did have a plan to... Um, put all the Jews on a boat to Rwanda, but uh, it didn't, didn't work out. They just dispersed around Europe. As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. Um, well, two sections this week. Uh, we have, well, the Bugle is going on uh, summer vacation a, l- a little early due to uh, the <laughs> overwhelming deluge of cricket. Um, <laughs> I do tune into the Bugle Ashes Zoltzcast. Uh, that was for, your uh, wrestling name, wasn't it, Zoltzman? Overwhelming <laughs> deluge of cricket. <laughs> Um, that's also my secret service code name. Um, uh, so to see you through the next achingly bugle-free weeks, here is the bugle guide to summer and or winter. Delete according to preferred hemisphere and whether you're listening to this now or in the future or in the past, um, because you never know with time travel these days. And indeed, time travel is where we start because, uh, well, some new summer holiday options have opened up with a new tech startup, Historilax, Set up uh, by Elon Musk's long-term rival Pilau Snork, offering package breaks back in time. <laughs> the options are currently a little limited as the company gets off the ground and works on uh, improving its technology. The options currently uh, include going back in time to one of three weeks ago, one million years BC, and last Thursday. Um, customers complain that the one million BC option just involved putting them in a special 3D cinema room and playing the Raquel Welsh film, one million years BC, <laughs> whilst the last Thursday option was, quote, little more than showing a repeat of some golf tournament or other. But anyway, it's something, isn't it? It's, it's, it's getting what is the future of travel uh, started. Also in the Bugle summer holiday section, uh, we review all the latest beach wear for you to take on your uh, summer holiday to be right up with the latest beach fashions, including the pinstripe business suit, uh, just as slack as chic has taken over corporate offices around the world, the pinstripe business suit is now the hip new look for people who like to look like they're at work, where in fact they're on the beach. Uh, also, we review the sporkle, part snorkel, part multi-use cutlery, enabling you to admire the wonders of the sea beneath you before putting your head above water to spread a sandwich, cut a peach into slices and eat a fruity mousse while you fend off aquatic predators with your free hand. And also we review flilts, part flipper, part stilt, swim faster in water, Look taller on the beach. What more could you possibly want from your summer footwear? Uh, And we uh, look at the joys of camping. Uh, There is one joy of camping. It makes you appreciate actual buildings. Uh, That that section in the bin. Uh, Along with our summer football transfer speculation uh, section, and with more and more players and managers spurning the traditional European power leagues in favour of an easy life where no one really gives a shit and you get paid even more money than the almost infinite wages you're already on, at stroke you heroically help develop new marketplaces and pioneeringly expand the horizons of your sport. We look at the latest exciting summer transfer rumours. And, uh, well, we touched on the Saudi influence uh, in sport already. News just reaching us that the promising Portuguese attacking midfielder Joao Franchesina has just turned down a move to Italian club Juventus in favour of a £150 million transfer to Saudi oil giant Aramco 
Exactly what role the former Benfica number 10 will play for the $7.8 trillion energy behemoth remains unclear. Rumours suggest he might be deployed in a free role, just milling around the entrance lobby at the corporate <laughs> headquarters in Dharan. Or possibly floating behind the CEO Armin H. Nasser and Chairman Yasser Al-Rumayan in a false CFO position. Uh, in other transfer news, Saudi big hitters Al Itihad have added to, to their trophy cabinet by buying the 1970-71 La Liga title from cash-strapped Spanish club Valencia. <laughs> Thus, the Jeddah-based team becomes just the 10th team to win the Spanish league. Uh, Rumours are that the Saudi champions could also be in for Everton's 1984-85 English League and European Cup Winners' Cup double, with the cash-strapped Merseysiders seeking funds to build their new stadium. Uh, former Premier League referee Norbert Scrivenshaw has been signed up by the Saudi government to become a High Court judge. That's on a £1.2 million per case basis, with extras for any convictions resulting in a public execution. And the former Bayern Munchausen midfield sensation Rolf <laughs> Botnitz has signed to be the personal sex gimp for the Ser- Serbian novelty picnic blanket millionaire Dragan Splatkovic. That's on a £120 a week five-year deal plus some extremely dubious performance-related bonuses. Uh, that football football transfer section in the bin. I know, I know, I know nothing about football, Andy, although I, I hear it's terribly popular. But it, <laughs> it always seems to me that if you want a demonstration of the all-conquering nature of capitalism, it's the fact that men who are multi-millionaires many times over can still be bought and sold like indentured servants and sent <laughs> halfway around the world to start a new life every couple of years. Given the working-class backgrounds of most of those players, the whole thing is like a massive... F- you from the class system made your way out did you made your way out with talent dedication hard work yeah well we're still gonna check your teeth feel your calves and pack you off to spain you oik you work for us <laughs> it's an inspiration to us all i'm just marveling at, at it faced with the summer off andy is splurging bullshit all over the show <laughs> it's kinder than than he you know Let's it out when he's in Greece or wherever. Yeah. It's like yeah. a teenage boy before an internet blackout. He is just <laughs> wanking his BS all over our ear holes. Family show, <laughs> Nishant. Yeah, but like a really weird family. <laughs> <laughs> Top story this week. It's hot, uh, but not just hot. It's f***ing hot. And it's not just f***ing hot. It's seriously f***ing hot. It's not just seriously f***ing hot. It's seriously so f***ing hot. And also so f***ing hot yet again that it starts to make you think that maybe, just maybe, those climate scientists weren't all making it up all along to get an extra couple of thousand dollars on their research funding. Uh, The mercury has slam-dunked itself into the 50 degrees Celsius basketball hoop in the USA and China. So much for the new Cold War between these two rivals. Uh, Lethal heat has been scourging numerous parts of Europe. Fires are raging all over the place. And weather maps... And now so many different shades of red that they look like a Daily Telegraph columnist's face when writing about pronouns. Um, um, Reuters had an air quality map of North America uh, on its website that looked like a rhinoceros had sneezed violently while halfway through eating a bacon sandwich. And there are now millions of people uh, living in heatwave zones around the world who've been declared officially medium rare. In parts of the Mediterranean, (laughs) you can now boil an egg just by putting it in a pan of boiling water for five minutes, which you could do anyway. Um, But anyway, it illustrates the situation. And as the song goes, it's getting hot in here, so take off all your last vestiges of resistance to genuine global commitment to making a genuine global commitment to get people to commit to some more commitments. Um, It's... Well, I mean, it's, uh, I love a stat, but uh, stats on quite how f***ing hot the world is uh, are not my favourite uh, ones. Have you, uh, are you both enjoying the, um, the latest uh, signal of our planetary impending doom? I mean, listen, it's not ideal, 
it's also uh, incre- <laughs> it's also incredibly hot uh, in Europe. Uh, in the uh, Vatican, fifteen thousand people uh, brought parasols and fans along to hear Pope Francis lead prayer. Now listen, we've all done stand up. That's a tough gig. It's a tough, <laughs> it's a tough, tough gig to do open air work. Anyway, very difficult to get any crowd work going. Very, very hard. But when people are boiling to death, it's <laughs> even harder. And uh, one of the priests, uh, Francois Mbemba, uh, said that uh, people were sweating like hell. Now, that is a priest <laughs> saying conditions are hell adjacent. And that means that there are Catholic priests who woke up that morning and thought, oh, God, we're in hell. And given that they were Catholic priests, at least a couple of them thought, yeah, this checks out. <laughs> <laughs> I've done some stuff. <laughs> I think it was a huge, huge week, Andy, for uh, yep. for players of climate change denial, the biggest and most successful global warming game franchise, even bigger than Coal Minecraft uh, and Lemmings. Uh, as somewhat unexpectedly, but much more expectedly, we have entered a boss level. They thought the levels were hard so far. It was tricky to keep denying in the face of the Antarctic ice retreating, but they said it was all part of Earth's long-term weather cycle, and besides, the fault mostly lies with greedy sea lions who secretly snack on the ice at night time. There was that even trickier hole-in-the-ozone layer level. Do you remember the hole in the ozone layer from oh, the 80s the days, it was like they? the John the Baptist to this shit show's <laughs> Jesus that was the level where everyone nearly got skin cancer but the climate change denial players beat it by saying that the entire thing was made up and the scientists were all in the pocket of big hat they even managed to deny their way through that level where they found a bewildered looking polar bear floating on an ice cube down the Thames by suggesting it was an excellent sign that post-Covid London is a popular destination for tourists from all over the world again so far they've been able to deny the effects of global warming but it's much harder to deny global warming itself when the globe is actually and demonstrably warmer it's going to be interesting to see how they beat the boss level my guess is cheat codes <laughs> always the way so I guess the question as you as you hinted at Nish is are we already burning in the fires of hell and if so the question has to be asked is this due to A countries legalising same sex marriage or B Two centuries of breakneck industrial progress and burning stuff allied to a destructive strain of economic short-termism and self-interest. I guess history will have to be the judge. Why can't it be both, Andy? Yeah, I guess it could be both. This is very black and white, your approach. (laughs) I I guess until God himself clarifies the situation, we might not know, know for sure. You know, I think as you look at, you know temperatures in uh, Italy reaching 48 degrees and you look at just large sections of uh, Spain on fire large sections of uh, California on fire this week it's hard not to think man I really thought and this is no offense you people would start giving a shit when it happened to white people we all (laughs) knew that everyone would just be fine with Tuvalu essentially being underwater we all knew that that was but this is happening to white people the people people care about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what you have to understand is that for quite a lot of white people, Italians and Spanish don't, they're just they're white people adjacent. They don't quite count for a lot of sort of Anglo white people. It's going to have to come a bit closer. It's going to have to hit the Norwegians. It's going to have to hit the Norwegians before anyone cares about it. Listen, as with any situation, there are winners and there are losers. In this case, the losers are humanity in general. uh, (laughs) And the winners are manufacturers of breathable clothing. So my top tips for investment right now are linen mills, Havaianas concessions in airports. And this is slightly their field, but I'm going to say the manufacturers of tenor incontinence pads, because I think they could really be onto something if they introduce a new range of super absorbent products to deal with the oncoming global epidemic of ball sweat. (laughs) Nads nappies... 
plum wipes, knacker packers, lads pads, call them what you will, there's money in them dar spuds. The other big losers in the situation are the writers and operators of metaphors. Metaphors cease to be metaphors when they become actual reality. For a long time, climate campaigners have used the metaphor, the world's on fire. But the world is literally on fire now. So they're going to have to find some new ways of expressing the severity of the situation. Maybe the earth is on life support and someone just unplugged it so they could charge the ice dispenser on their super yacht. Or something snappier like, Mother Nature's tits are exploding. Or even something that's just very direct, such as, holy f***ing shit, we've f***ed this thing so far up its f***ing f***er that we're f***ing and just to say, you can get all of those on a T-shirt over at my Redbubble page. <laughs> all of this uh, record-breaking climate catastrophe made it more surprising when two days ago I was sat uh, in this very room that we rec- I'm recording the Bugle in and uh, watching on the Just Stop Oil Twitter feed uh, video footage <laughs> of people smashing up placards at a Just Stop Oil protest. And it has been a a nauseating summer on two fronts. One front, the entire planet is on fire. And on the other front, we've had to listen to whinge about people protesting so that we don't all burn to death. We had to listen to a whole summer of, oh, they they interrupted the tennis, the (laughs) sacred tennis, a game between a man ranked 478th in the world and another man ranked 527th in the world. They interrupted it and they were playing on a court so far from centre court in Wimbledon that it was technically in Croydon. They interrupted it. They interrupted the cricket for one minute of five days. They, How could they do this? They interrupted it. They interrupted it. And Johnny Besto, I mean, to be fair to him, it's the only thing he hasn't dropped all summer was that climate protester. (laughs) And I'm beginning to think that if England want Johnny Besto to hold on to a f***ing couch, they need to write Just Stop Oil on a ball. But that's obviously neither here nor there. (laughs) The protesters have done... All Just Stop Oil have been asking for, which I think is worth restating, is that we don't have new oil fields, which in light of what's happening this week seems eminently sensible. They're also trying to stop the British government from opening a coal mine because the British government are considering opening a coal mine. The only good reason (laughs) in 2023 to open a coal mine in Britain is if you're going to plan to immediately close it to stimulate boys' interest in ballet. That's the only (laughs) good reason is a full Billy Elliot policy. I think it's just probably just part of their desire to return to the 1950s in general as a government, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. Fits. Yeah. We'd take that. We did. We won. We won three Ashes series in a row in the 1950s. I'm right on board with that. Um, <laughs> that that's the most audacious sports washing yet. Bring back the 50s. Bring back the 50s so we can have a more successful Ashes record. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned that coal mine, but I mean, really. In Britain, what are our alternatives? I mean, if only we had some sort of coastline where we might be able to harness the power of the tides or we had, you know, a massive, great, reliable wind coming across an, an ocean uh, pretty much all the time uh, that we might be able to, I don't know. But there, there, there just aren't any options. But, you know. Harness the power of the tides? What are you, a sorcerer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, my main reactions as the Earth moves steadily towards its post-human phase is... <laughs> 
Who knew Armageddon would be this slow? <laughs> As someone who grew up in the 80s, I was very much expecting that when the end of the world came, we would all be evaporated with only three minutes warning. I didn't think the whole thing would be eked out over years and involve quite so much in the way of celebrities raising awareness. That is one of the main advantages of a nuclear strike. Even in the age of smartphones, it leaves Gary Barlow and Gal Gadot very little time to organise a video of people who are dull when they go on Jimmy Kimmel singing Ebony and Ivory in their Malibu kitchens. There's something very very absolute about a three minute warning three minutes gives you time for a sandwich a speed wank or to say goodbye to your loved ones depending on your personal situation and preference but the Armageddon <laughs> de nos jours leaves far too much time for contemplation and guilt and that is the other good thing about an all out nuclear war you can absolutely frame that as entirely the fault of other people but climate disaster <laughs> climate disaster is something we're all being held responsible for I'll be honest with you Andy I can do without that I've got enough guilt and shame as it is my guilt and shame dance card is extremely full. I've already got to fit in ruminating on my failings as a husband and father, the broad and deep consequences of empire, forgetting to put a wash on, my inherent advantages as a straight white man, accidentally treading on the cat, western hegemony, the fact that I've chosen this job instead of something that actually helps humans, and leaving the milk out so it went off. That's enough to deal with. Maybe I can fit feeling guilty about global warming in between not being a dutiful enough son and my part in Channel 4's early internet show dot comedy, but honestly I can't promise anything. <laughs> my, my, you've, you've triggered some horrible memories with that that last. Uh, Mate, that last I had to dig. I had to dig very deep to be able to say that out you're loud. Very, you're very brave to, to share yeah. that. Um, <laughs> I, I, those those three minute options you listed are they were they mutually exclusive or not? I can't can't quite remember the. Uh, the, oh no, no! You can you can have a sandwich, a speed wank, and say goodbye to your loved ones right. at the same time. Okay. In, in many ways, that is the dream, well, and that's the, that's the thing. You will get it all done because you've got a deadline. <laughs> yep. Well, it's like when they found that bloke in Pompeii who had clearly seen the lava and decided to just go to town on himself <laughs> as he was <laughs> so good. as the lava was coming towards him. Although with this version of the apocalypse, it is taking longer. You're really going to have to tease that wank out. <laughs> You've got to go full sting wank. Got full to go tantric full on this. Tantric on your own business. What I love the idea that people generally show? don't want to be caught masturbating. And the fact he probably thought he got away with it. No way did he imagine that 2,000 years later, someone would be the equivalent of someone bursting into his room going, What are you doing? <laughs> he looked, he'd have to say he looked pretty ashen faced. Like, oh, there it is. <laughs> Brexit was right news now, and um, <laughs> the European Union is going to force poisonous chemicals on all children across Europe. Uh, Brussels bureaucrats are set to poison children in their sleep after making it compulsory for the continent's kids to drink industrial chemicals with their lunch if they want ice cream afterwards. Um, that is not entirely the story, but since it's a story that involves the EU, we're allowed to take a bit of creative licence in this country. That's, that's what we voted for. And this is essentially what's happened. The European Commission is poised to backtrack on its plans to ban most hazardous chemicals in consumer products after a backlash from the hazardous chemicals industry. Uh, this is according to leaked <laughs> documents. The ban was set to cover thousands upon quite literally thousands of dangerous substances and everyday products ranging from toys to food packaging and from phthalate-flavoured blancmange to arsenic-coated underpants. Um, well, I mean, this surely proves that... Uh, we were right to take control of how we poison our children rather than re relying on Brussels to do it for us. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, given the principal achievement of Brexit appears to be you can now just put human shit in all rivers and beaches. This is the, <laughs> this is the EU trying to tempt us back, <laughs> lifting up their skirt to show us a bit of leg. Not going to work, Eurocrats. Not going to work. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah. Say what you will uh, about uh, the EU, but they don't sometimes half make it hard to like them. <laughs> the European Commission uh, is going to break this promise to outlaw all but the most essential of the hazardous chemicals. Uh, the, the, it's basically uh, as a result of an industry-led backlash, um, and they've come under pressure from the chemical industry and right-wing political parties. So the European Union is very much taken the professional footballer route of following the money and unfortunately <laughs> in this case the money leads to a bunch of heavily poisoned children it's it, it is uh, it is it's pretty disgraceful i mean it feels like um being against poison should be the bare minimum for being a politician <laughs> but Clearly the pro-poison lobby, clearly I'm a naive buffoon and the pro-poison lobby has uh, wafted a few doubloons under the European Commission and they've decided to go, you know what, f*** it, the kids, can, the kids are going to die of climate change in the long run, we may as well poison them ourselves. <laughs> yeah, just, just, it's, it's saving them other other forms of pain. Uh, we should, for the, for the sake of editorial balance, say that uh, these poisons will also be effective on adults as well as children. Um <laughs> So, you know, we've only given really one side of the story up to this point. The, the numbers are extraordinary. The, um, according to a study into the prevalence of the chemicals, 34 million tonnes of them were consumed last year in Europe. And it's the kind of figure that's sort of impossible to get your head around, particularly if your brain function has been affected by the sheer number of forever <laughs> chemicals that you're ingesting. So I've done some maths to put this in context. Bear okay. with me. You might need a pen and a pad. Okay. The right. population of the EU is... 407,209,306 people at the last count, which I'm assuming was registered this morning. If the 34 million tonnes of chemicals consumed last year were distributed evenly among the population, that would mean that each person consumed 84, sorry, 83.5 kilograms of NNCs, or not nice chemicals. Given that the mean weight of a Big Mac is somewhere around 220 grams, that means that each citizen of the European Union last year consumed the equivalent of 380 Big Macs worth of NNCs and RFBCs, really f***ing bad chemicals, that is 154,739,536,280 Big Macs. And that is without even taking into account the environmental impact of that many plastic toys accompanying the Happy Meals. So what I think that proves is that if we can just stop eating Big Macs, this will all go away. <laughs> You could prove anything with numbers. Exactly. <laughs> the Belgian Prime Minister, Alexander de Cruz, said, that, uh, said back in May, if we're overburdening people with rules and regulations, we risk losing support for the green agenda. And the German chemicals giant BS BASF has permanently downsized in Europe because of what it called overregulation. I have to say, overburdening and overregulation, I really feel like not having poison is not over-regulating. And I am concerned <laughs> that they are going to now say, well, the thing is, we would absolutely love to create more jobs in, the, uh, in continental Europe. But unfortunately, the over-regulation of laws against murdering people is weighing us down. We cannot move for red tape. Yeah. Listen, God, does it need to be Ten Commandments? I mean, it's just very restricting. Moses was the original red tape wielder. Yeah, there were, there were like 15 of them originally, but he talked them down. And then went on to found the EU. 
I've had a look at the 12,000 suggested toxic substances on this list, and oh, yeah. I'm not happy. I'm not happy right. at all. There are huge emissions. I'm wondering if there's an opportunity here for a bit of negotiation. So clearly, okay. there are a number of toxic chemicals that business and industry want taken off the list. So perhaps we could operate a one-in, one-out policy, and I could get a few of my suggestions on there. How about, right, they get to put lead back in petrol, but celery's banned. <laughs> or they can pick any carcinogen they like to take off the list, but the EU moves to outlaw Disarono. Some kind of indestructible poison-based fertilizer gets a reprieve, but pale blue sports-oriented aftershaves are illegal within the borders of the European <laughs> Union. My list of demands, uh, suggestions, uh, includes, but is not limited to, hard seltzer, which is just a way of sending Alka-Pops to grown-ups, you're not fooling us, non-absorbent cat litter, southern comfort, fruit in salads, whatever that is that comes out of my old ear piercing when I squeeze it, and eggnog, if indeed those are two different things. <laughs> India going to the moon news now, and, um, well, exciting times for Indian space rockets. One of their number has been <laughs> fired upwards, a best thing to do with a space rocket, uh, IMHO, um, on a mission to discover what's on the other side of the moon. Uh, they're, they're firing it to the dark side of the moon um, and showing once again the influence of Pink Floyd on uh, Indian <laughs> geopolitics to try to discover whether the moon is really a large disc in the sky, like a pancake, or is it more like a golf ball but further away? Um, this is uh, you know, obviously very exciting as a, as a, you know, a man of Indian descent. Uh, you must be thinking, you know, you th this is an opportunity maybe for you to become an astronaut within the next, you know, 100 to 150 years. 100%, Andrew. This is absolutely yep. huge news. Side note, Indian Space Rocket was my Secret Service security name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the moon, or as we of Indian extraction call it, the Fat Nan, is the latest frontier of India's uh, exploration. And you're thinking... Why has India uh, blasted off uh, uh, a rocket to the moon? Why have they sent uh, Chandrayaan-3, the word for mooncraft in Sanskrit, uh, off from an island in southern India to the moon? Uh, is it to uh, assert India's uh, dominance as a kind of new world superpower? Is it to show off uh, the science and technology that's thriving in the country? The answer is, it's neither of those things. It's to send someone to the moon to make sure no one is saying anything bad about Narendra Modi. We will travel <laughs> to the ends of the galaxy to make sure that those space aliens are not saying anything weird like BJP stands for Blowjob Piss Party or that Narendra Modi with his white hair and white beard looks like a mean Indian Santa. We are desperate to make sure that there is no one uh, up there and I'll tell you how they're fueling the rocket they're fueling it with Narendra Modi's own spit because he spits jet fuel and I read about that in a whatsapp forwarded to me by my uncle <laughs> <laughs> I think the most significant aspect of India landing a craft on the moon is that life will be much simpler now for NASA and the UK Space Agency and countless similar organisations across the globe who can now simply outsource all of their space exploration <laughs> to India no longer will there be the risk and expense and years of training associated with putting people called Brandon or Chip or Yevgeny into space. <laughs> Instead, rockets will be sent up with nothing in the cockpit but a connection to a call centre in Bengaluru where a man called Arjun is going to be your astronaut today. Press 1 if you're having trouble landing the craft. Press 2 if you're unable to cope with the desolate beauty of the arid moonscape. Press 3 if you broke wind in your suit and require medical assistance. For all other inquiries, press the hash key. Calls may be recorded for training and posterity. <laughs> So, I mean, the fact that India has has the money to to launch this um, uh, completely pointless expedition <laughs> to see what's what's on the other side of the moon, I guess suggests that 
you know, it sorted out all the all the other problems affecting uh, affecting the country in the same way that uh, you know you know, you know other countries in America doesn't have any problems anymore. Um, and, and the Soviet Union had pretty much sorted everything out before mm. it fired that dog into space. <laughs> and then Yuri Gagarin um, uh, in a dog outfit as well to uh, to back it up. <laughs> um, so I mean, this is this is quite exciting news generally, isn't it? In terms of uh, in terms of social progress. Yeah, it's a um, it, it's a it's a sign of a society with its priorities in order. Sure, there's huge economic problems in India, but how will we know that this stuff on the moon? If we haven't, how can we trust white people's opinion of what's on the moon? And that is the one. <laughs> that is the one element of which I support this. I just, I think you got to send an Indian in there just to have a look at what's going on, just to see what's happening up there on the moon. Otherwise, the the whites, you may have been lying to us about the moon the entire time. There might be gold up there for all we know. <laughs> that's probably that's probably what, uh, uh, in one of Camilla's hats. Some moon gold <laughs> that got colonised by some British asshole. And um, there are also rumours that um, uh, an advertising deal has been signed so that the uh, the face of Indian cricketer Virat Kohli will be projected <laughs> onto the moon for all time as the one visible thing left in the world that isn't uh, already sponsoring <laughs> Virat Kohli. So, um, and this is again exciting news for everyone. Uh, I, I know that's a joke, Andy, but I think you would you would make a couple of billion people extremely happy. <laughs> myself included if you projected and if, if you projected Tendulkar onto the moon then that I mean that we'd be we'd be uh, we'd be we'd be over it we'd be quite literally <laughs> over the moon I think that as you sort of mentioned that Andy the you know it's that they're going to somewhere quite new the chosen landing site is very significant the craft is to touch down at the moon's very rarely visited south pole where it will try to answer once and for all the age-old question, barren and dry, though it may appear, does the moon really have space penguins? <laughs> if so, are they regular penguins who've evolved to fit the oxygenless environment of the moon? We know that regular Earth penguins can hold their breath for an inordinate length of time. Have the space penguins evolved so far that they can hold their breath for their entire lives? Or have they developed cute little penguin spacesuits? This could be a hugely significant find because if there's one way of convincing an increasingly sceptical and poverty-stricken human race that it's worth the trillions of dollars that space exploration <laughs> costs, it's going to be cute space penguins. A lot rides on this. <laughs> And also, I guess you know, going going to the South Pole uh, of the Moon. I mean, we've been burnt by this before. Just hope for India's sake that they don't find the f-ing Norwegians have got their six weeks before. <laughs> well, but they're not the first people there, are they? Because now there have been rockets from America, Russia, China, and India that have all reached the Moon. And I think what we've got here, lads, is the beginning of a really promising chalk and cheese type sitcom called Mr. Von Brown's Boys, uh, in which the inhabitants of four national lunar bases live next door to each other with hilarious consequences and classic moments we all love. Who can forget Dimitri falling through the airlock? Or Captain Leanne explaining to co-pilot Bao that dehydrated food tube is very small, but the horsehead nebula is far away. And so quotable too, don't tell him Buzz. What you talking about, First Officer Malhotra? How you doing for recyclable oxygen cells? This shit writes itself, which coincidentally is the motto of ChatGPT. <laughs> and also why there's such a such an impasse in the US writers' strike, I guess. Uh, when, when the shit starts writing itself, where, where does that leave the humans?
Um, India are actually planning on the, the next space mission is planning to be uh, they plan to send some astronauts to the International Space Station uh, as part of a um, agreement that was struck uh, when Narendra Modi uh, last month visited Joe Biden in America. And uh, it, interestingly, uh, while that discussion was mainly focused around uh, providing a counterweight to Vladimir Putin's uh, aggression in Ukraine, uh, they uh, they did actually find time to discuss democratic values. Uh, Biden said the Prime Minister and I had a good discussion about democratic values. That's the nature of our relationship. We're straightforward with each other. And Narendra Modi said that he was surprised by any criticism of the Indian government, which is he, he would be surprised by it because he doesn't see it very often because anyone who does gets beaten up. Uh, he said that in <laughs> India, the benefits provided by the government is accessible to all. That has the mother of all citation needed next to it. <laughs> that comment from Modi would barely pass Wikipedia's editing policy. <laughs> Sports news now, and uh, well, it's been a huge week in sport. Uh, Chris mentioned the, uh, the the Commonwealth Games uh, schmuzzle. Also, there was a, an incident at the Tour de France when a spectator caused a huge crash by trying to take a selfie, whilst 150 <laughs> professional cyclists whizzed past him at about 45 miles an hour in a strong entry for the sporting moment that best expresses 21st century human life uh, award. But let's look at Wimbledon, which after wimbling on for two weeks has now wimbled off for another year. And um, with two new singles champions crowned, uh, Marquetta von Drusova uh, is the ladies' champion, as predicted on the bugle three weeks ago. Well, looking ahead to the uh, women's singles, my money has to be on the unseeded Czech and 250 to one shot Marquetta von Drusova. <laughs> Former French Open finalist, of course, to spring a big surprise and make it all the way, foiling the dreams of Ukraine's heroic Alina Svitolina in the semi-finals. But before prevailing in a disappointingly one-sided final against Britain's reanimated 1909 champion Dora Boothby, back in contention after being ruled out of recent tournaments due to having died in 1970 at the age of 88. Well, I was pretty close. I mean, you can't get everything right, but yeah, I, was, I, I did say Von Drusa would win. And uh, in the men's draw, Carlos Alcaraz, the uh, 20-year-old Spaniard, beats the unbeatable. He beats Novak Djokovic, which is pretty much like beating the dinosaurs and being wiped out by an asteroid competition. Uh, an incredible uh, achievement. Did uh, did you guys uh, watch? I was, I was actually playing cricket at the time. Um, wow. So you're saying you're my... not responsible? Is that? Is yeah. That... <laughs> so I didn't. Have to, I sort of caught up on it. Later, I sort of thought because Djokovic, regardless of how good Alcaraz is, I just assumed Djokovic would win because that's 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 what he does. Uh, I don't think he has the imagination to lose generally. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but it, it was an extraordinary sporting moment. I was very sorry that Djokovic didn't win, not because I liked the anti-vaxxer dingbat, but because <laughs> I had a, uh, a an escape from Alcaraz tweet all ready to go. And it. Well, but, no one had done. But, no, one, no one's done those. If there's one thing I hate in sport, Andy, it's the changing of the guard. Right. There's very little more dispiriting than watching a man the generation below me being superseded by someone from my own children's generation. It is very depressing. But that, but Nish, Djokovic is your generation, is so I'm going to ask you, are, are you okay? How does it feel to have your men's single final dreams finally dashed? Djokovic is... They're, they're, it was an extremely close game. There was a moment when uh, Alcaraz... I think sort of speared a shot down the line and Djokovic in his attempts to quickly change direction fell flat on his face and for most of the game 
the the kind of writing around it and in the lead up to the game was the idea of this kind of David versus Goliath, this sort of um, plucky 20 year old upstart taking on a lesser tennis player and more a kind of uh, force of nature. Uh, and then for one second, it looked like what it was, which was a 20-year-old embarrassing someone a decade and a half older than him. <laughs> I, I, when Djokovic was face down on the turf, I, I, I don't think I've ever felt... I, I don't think I've ever felt closer to it. But for a long period, Djokovic did dominate. And I felt a little bit like uh, George Orwell in the 1930s, watching the Spanish crumble to fascism. But <laughs> Alcaraz rallied and rallied hard. Uh, and uh, it, yeah, it was... In a, it, it was it, it, it was an extraordinary game that sort of reminds you uh, that really only sport can do this. And I would like to apologise uh, to my parents' neighbours uh, who, when Alcaraz smeared a cross-court forehand at head height from the baseline, <laughs> heard me make a noise like someone stamping on a Bee Gees nutsack. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a list of things that you should not do if you want to beat Novak Djokovic. Uh, one is play him at <laughs> Um, two is play him at tennis in a country that lets people in who haven't had a COVID vaccination. <laughs> Three is play him on centre court at Wimbledon. Um, four is play him in a decade beginning with the numbers two, zero, and two. Because <laughs> since January 2020, he'd won 74 out of 48 matches in Grand Slam tournaments <laughs> before that one. Two of his losses were to Nadal in Paris, where it's basically impossible to beat Nadal yeah. without one or, move a, one or more of a harpoon, a nuclear warhead, or a particularly uh, angry crocodile. Uh, and in uh, one of the other two losses, he was disqualified for whacking a ball at a line yeah. judge, because why not? Uh, and a thing five you're not supposed to do is lose the first set quickly. Thing six, let a set go to a tiebreak. Djokovic never loses tiebreaks. Uh, thing seven, go ahead in the match, then let Djokovic come back to level things up. Don't get taken to a fifth set. Don't um, get taken to a fifth set, specifically in a Grand Slam final. And don't give him a break point in that fifth set, because he's so good on the big points. And above all... Don't get distracted by him bouncing the f***ing ball 20 f***ing times before every f***ing serve. Alcaraz made all these mistakes apart, perhaps, from the last one and still won. Um, it was uh, it was truly extraordinary. It's also, you know, it's, it's how we watch sport, isn't it? Yeah, we watch sport with it in a, it's a sort of largely emotional thing and people re like or don't like players based on numerous things and not just how good they are, but also how they play and in my case watching tennis how many f***ing times they bounce the ball for every f***ing serve um, and Djokovic's ball bouncing is insane um, there was a junior tournament uh, when he played when I think it was about 15 or 16 the story goes that the young Djokovic bounced the ball for 74 hours continuously <laughs> before serving at set point down it's always worse on the big points uh, his opponent fell asleep um, and was taken home by his mum and Djokovic was awarded the match by default now that didn't happen but the fact that neither of you interrupted me to, to, to put me right <laughs> Um, and none of you listening, wherever, whenever you are interrupting me, that tells you everything you need to know. Um, uh, Djokovic was fine. He smashed his racket during the final set after being, uh, being, having his serve broken. He was fined um, $8,000, just over £6,000. He was essentially paid $575,000 for playing and losing the final. That's the difference in prize money between losing um, the final and losing the, the semi-final. There were 334 points in the final, so it works out that for smashing his racket to pieces and denting the, the, the net post, he was deducted his pay for three and a half of those 334 points. Now, Alcaraz served seven double faults, so let's just say Djokovic, for smashing his racket to pieces like a stroppy professional tennis player, was penalised brutally by not being paid for watching the first serves of Alcaraz's seven double faults fail to land in play. And that is a lesson. 
he will never forget. <laughs> sport, you know, sport like life is complicated, and obviously. A lot of tennis fans uh, haven't really forgiven Djokovic for not being a Rafa Nadal who was, uh, y- y- you know, who uh, did pretty spectacular things with the tennis ball and took the game to new heights of athleticism. Or in- indeed, uh, they haven't forgiven Novak Djokovic for not being Roger Federer, who is, uh, and I don't think this is an overstatement, the uh, ultimate pinnacle of human beauty uh, <laughs> was found in Roger Federer's backhand. Do you know, whenever I'm watching Wimbledon, I always think they really lean into the colour green, don't they? They really, <laughs> yeah. really lean into it, which seems odd because it clashes terribly badly with the strawberries. But in fact, <laughs> it's camouflage. Until the late 19th century, Wimbledon was painted scarlet, but that made it a much easier target when at war with other Grand Slam tournaments. <laughs> it only changed to green after the humiliating defeat to Roland Garros in the 1884 Battle of Slazenger. That <laughs> battle went to four sets, but Wimbledon eventually succumbed to a powerful volley of cannons, forcing it back to the baseline before the superior agility of Roland Garros made itself clear with an easy drop shot to put the battle beyond reach. Camouflage, of course, isn't Wimbledon's only defence against invasion by foreign Grand Slams. There are also the anti-air raid roofs that have been put on centre court and court number one, the enormous defensive earthworks that have been constructed, otherwise known as Henman Hill, and of course, ticket prices. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's Bugle, and indeed this summer's Bugles will be back in, well, late August, stroke early September, which might still be summer. Um, but you get my point. We're, we're going to be off uh, for, a, for a few. Yeah, I think what are you things guys, will still uh, be on fire. Sure. <laughs> Probably. What are you looking forward to over the summer as citizens of, uh, of Planet World? I'm looking forward to getting to know um, the various uh, air conditioning spots in Italy. <laughs> where, where I will be for two weeks just standing near fridges in supermarkets I'm looking forward to uh, the conclusion of the Ashes massive game in Old Trafford which you're off to uh, imminently Andrew yes as soon as we finish this recording I'll be um, packing up my stats machine and my 75 coloured pens and uh, <laughs> heading up to cocoon myself in the comforting safety blanket of sport and stats <laughs> Um, As James Brown said, stay on the scene like a stats machine before immediately, <laughs> immediately being corrected. <laughs> um, we will talk about this. Uh, in fact, Chris and Nish and I will talk about this in the Bugle Ashes Zoltzcast, available via the Bugle website or elsewhere on the internet. As I said, we will be back uh, with uh, full Bugles uh, in a few weeks' time, unless there's nothing left to quip about. Maybe everyone will have learned to get along in peace and harmony. The environment will have stopped being such a temperamental <laughs> shitbag and the world will be sitting around the campfire holding hands and singing songs to each other and not lighting the campfire because they've learned their lesson. But if <laughs> not, we will be back. We will be back uh, to, uh, as I said, hold up the mirror to the world and uh, smash it to pieces so you don't have to. In the meantime, uh, there will be a couple of sub-bugles over the next few weeks to keep you going. Uh, there is the Bugle Ashes Zoltzcast. Uh, there's top stories, giving you the top stories from old episodes, uh, and also we are adding uh, full old episodes gradually to the Bugle feed. You can listen to The Gargle, Catharsis, other shows from the Bugle podcast stable. You can see plenty of Bugle co-hosts at the Edinburgh Festival. Nishi, uh, are you, have you got a show at yeah, the festival? I'm, I'm there for four days, but... Uh... 
Uh, oh, you've got to that stage of the career now, have you, Nisha? <laughs> <laughs> Just going to go in, suck up some tickets for four days, and get out of there. I'm going to be completely frank with you. It's a work in progress show that I'm not touring, okay. and it may as well be called Nish uh, is trying to expense his hotels and trains against tax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those, uh, those shows are uh, uh, regrettably and slightly surprisingly already sold out. Um, there might be some returns uh, if you go on the uh, Monkey Barrel website. Uh, I'm also I'll be doing my news podcast Pod Save the UK which is also available wherever you get podcasts Alice, uh, Tiff, Anuvab, James Nakise and Tom Ballard are all doing shows at the Edinburgh Festival go and see all of those Alice is also doing a couple of uh, live gargle shows uh, tickets available work just ask just ask nicely edfringe.com um, Ed, Ed oh that's it well, that's the one so I knew it was somewhere um <laughs> Just get edfringe.com up on your computer or your phone or your, or your tablet and ask that nicely. <laughs> when, um, when I posted about my Edinburgh show originally, I put all of the dates up wrong and they had to be corrected uh, by my agent by her posting underneath my Instagram post. And the number of people who immediately responded by saying, you've been spending too much time with Andy Saltzman was truly <laughs> Uh, there's a Bugle live show in London in September. <laughs> I can't remember the date offhand. Uh, mid, mid, midish, midish September. Um, we will post details as soon as uh, tickets are available. Uh, and uh, well, I think uh, subscribers to the Bugle voluntary subscription scheme get priority booking. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty, uh, plenty left uh, after that. Uh, well, happy summer, everyone. We will be back in a few weeks. Uh, do listen to me uh, talking in numbers on the cricket if you like that kind of stuff. If you don't, don't. You'll hate it, uh, and you'll be wrong. You'll be wrong about everything in your life. Uh, until August stroke September. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.